morning good evening everyone and welcome to what is the last uh, uh, ibc indic book club author uh, open house with otis because after this we will be taking a break for a few weeks uh, next uh, weekend is as you know uh, you know we'll, we'll be getting into christmas week and so on so and then new year so we'll take a break so this is the last uh, q and a uh, open house with otis for this year and for those of you joining for the first time or those of you watching this video when it is put up on YouTube, then uh, as part of Indic Academy and Indic Book Club, what we're doing every every week, uh, and we've been doing this for the past couple of months is uh, we invite budding writers, aspiring authors, and anyone who's interested in improving the craft of their writing to send in a sample of approximately 800 words to 1,000 words at the, at the upper limit to Otis, uh, and you can go to the indicacademy.org website and find information there on how to send that sample. Uh, send it as a PDF document, Times New Roman font size 12, double-spaced. And Otis takes a look at those. He marks them up with his comments, feedback, suggestions, and sends the, sends the PDF back to you. And then in this uh, open house on Sunday that we have, he'll go over the samples one by one and give us feedback and suggestions and in general talk about the craft of writing, the do's and don'ts, and, and, and so on. So with that, Otis, I turn that over to you. Okay, uh, great. Um, nice to see everyone. Um, good evening, good evening. My morning is raining, raining like hell here, actually. Um, it's like that kind of rain. I, I, I was just saying to Abhinav that I'm in Oregon, Eugene, Oregon, and it can be rain like this where you're just like, it's never going to stop. This is it. It's just raining from now on. Um, Okay, so as Abhinav uh, mentioned, um, we'll be off the next two weeks, um, so that will ideally put us back in uh, touch on uh, January 10th, and um, we uh, I'm looking forward to the uh, the winter solstice tomorrow. Exciting. Um, anyway. Um, Okay, so uh, let's see. Let me share. So, how many have, samples do you have uh, to go over this uh, Sunday, Otis? I have uh, I have five, and uh, and I Excellent. will I will try and be a little a little quicker. You know, I want to try and bullet point. I, I know I get caught up in my my rants. No, 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 not not at all. They're they're very. I mean, see, uh, if all we wanted were bullet points, I'm sure we can get them all over the net. You know, people have shared their tips on writing and all. I think what you provide is a little more, uh, more you know, contemplative and uh, and and also wide ranging. So uh, don't mind. Uh, you know, take all the time you want. Uh, we are more than happy with the you know uh, with with what we get to. Uh, here and the feedback that we get, and as well as interactions with the, with the uh, you know the writers that send in their samples. So, mm -hmm. great, um, uh, Smitha. Let's talk about your work to start with. It's uh, titled Muna. Um, did I? I haven't shared this yet. I don't think. Let me see about my share. Um,
once something happened. Shoot. Um, am I still here? Yeah, we can see your screen. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, my, my screen cut out, so I was like, I thought I lost everyone. Oh. Okay, there we go. I was like, suddenly it was quiet, and I was like, oh my god, I'm alone. Okay. Um, uh, you can see the screen. Uh, Smitha, are you here? Uh, HS uh, Smitha. I don't always know a first name, so... Forgive me if I'm not getting that. Yeah, right. so Smitha, if you're online, can you please, uh, uh, you know, uh, switch on your webcam and let Otis know that you're there? If not, then we'll have to move to the next sample. Okay, uh, you know, Otis, we can move to the second one. And if uh, Smitha joins, uh, or we can, at the end of it, we can ask again if she's uh, online. Okay. Um, um, gratitude, Ashvani, um, I see that you're here. Um, great. Uh, let's, uh, let's take a look at your piece. Um, Someone's, uh, is that you, Ashvani? I love it. Um, let's see, let's, uh, maybe you could just read, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, there is a lot of uh, background noise coming from your 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 uh, uh, okay, I think maybe um okay thanks thanks Ashwani. Uh, maybe I was just looking around, but maybe you could just read the first paragraph, please, to give us a sense of the tone of this piece. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay. Almost immediately after her marriage, the idea started germinating in Marla's unadulteratedly civilian mind that she had entered into a bigamous relationship of sorts. Her newly acquired status of being the lawfully wedded wife of Flight Lieutenant Prasad gave her a feeling of accomplishment. After all, she had been able to persevere against all odds and outlive her parents' resistance to her marrying a pilot, a military one at that. At times, though, she felt that the expression being married to the service quite accurately described Prasad's inflexible vision of what he perceived to be his duty. Whenever Mala chided him about this predilection, he would look away and his gaze would focus at an infinite distance, the eloquence of his silence effectively smothering any attempts at conversation. However, as suddenly as he had gone aloof, he would return to his jovial self and his good humor radiating from his sparkling eyes and expressed through his easy banter would sweep Mala away from her half-hearted sulk. Okay, great. Um... Uh, this uh, this story by Ashvani is uh, a, really a 
heartwarming story that draws us into this world of uh, helicopter pilots. Um, this woman married in, married a, a man who's a helicopter pilot, and they have a you know they have a relationship. You know, harmonious. You know, it's relationship, so it's up and down, right? Um, that goes into the first year to their first anniversary, and then he's called away to uh, save someone, um, basically. And I feel uh, get this person, a military person, out of um, the high country in the Himalayas. So, Ashvani, I do have a first question. Um, do you, in this story, do you know what you're talking about here? Do you do you have experience with this helicopter? This helicopter work personally, or yes, I do. Yes, I am a helicopter pilot. I was. Okay, so I'm going to tell you that I believe that you were a helicopter pilot. It is amazing if you're not a helicopter pilot to make us believe that you do know all about this world. But I know, and I feel absolutely that I'm in this world. So, in my list of things that I want to tick off, like in my experiences of reading, remember. The, the, the basic is the main thing I want to do is not think about the laundry, the, you know, the, the dishes, et cetera, et cetera. I want to go someplace else. I go someplace else and I absolutely believe it. Um, and Ashvani, I will tell you that that's, uh, it, it's quite a thing to know about and that material there is going to be amazing. And it's amazing for that reason. You know, I mean, you're a human being, so you're a human being just like all the rest of us, but you also have unique experience. It's those two things that we want to bring the reader into. Okay, so it's unique and universal experience. Though they're, it's, it's priceless, you know? I mean, this is the thing that we want to draw the reader into. Um, and I will tell you also, Ashvani, I, I have already read about pilots in the Himalayas. I will tell you that. And, uh, and I can't remember why or where. I read a great piece. I mean, I think there was some in the Crack Hour Into Thin Air, which I read, which is an amazing book. But there was some other piece that I read about, about I mean, honestly, the, 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 the daring do. I mean, it's just, it boggles the mind someone flying a helicopter into the Himalayas. I mean, you're talking about weather patterns that I can't even comprehend, right? And, and you capture one here. So, great. That's really great. Uh, the things that <clears throat> I, I also thought, so it's really later on, well, if, if, you, if, if you all get a chance to read this piece, I, I suggest that you, you do. Um, it's in the workshop, okay, so it's not, it's not done by any means. It's definitely in the workshop. All our work is in the workshop. So uh, Ernest Hemingway said, no work is ever finished, only abandoned. Okay, so I think that's something that you can take to heart, okay? We, you know, you can, you're never going to finish it. There's no perfection. You know, there's just finally saying enough's enough. Um, but this piece is definitely still in the workshop. Um, Later on, we're going to realize that we'll go into the, the pilot's point of view. But I do want to say that here, starting with the wife's point of view, is a bold, and I think you do it quite well. I mean, I, I, I think you have a really 
well-modulated discussion of her for the most part. Um, this, uh, this entrance uh, almost immediately after her marriage, the idea started germinating in Mala's unadulteratedly civilian mind that she had entered into a bigamous relationship of sorts is a great first line. Um, it makes a certain promise and it sets up a pretty intense relationship, however, that I don't think gets fully realized in this piece, really where she's a central character. It's really, we're really talking about their relationship, the, the wife and the husband. He happens to be a helicopter pilot, but it's really this triangular relationship that we're being introduced to. And we're being reduced to it on the level <clears throat> on a kind of extraordinary level of intimacy, right? To suggest that it's like a bigamist relationship. That's an extraordinary level of emotional intimacy and physical physical intimacy, which we see some of that, you know, late, you know, soon early in this piece, as the squadron tries to bring her into the into their community fully. And that that's completely the expectation that this is a group that works together. And by God, you know, we, we don't get it from their perspective, but of course they do. I mean, their ability to work together to stay alive is is ridiculous, right? So amazing. Um, the but what does happen here is uh, we get a we get a couple of different stories. Um, we are mainly in Mala, we're in Mala's point of view to a certain point until they get to their first anniversary, and then we move into the husband's point of view. Um, that's something that we want to think about. You know, I mean, it, the way I look at our writing is that it's really a cost to benefit ratio. I mean, I think I've said that before. You know, so what do you get? And what do you lose? When you draw the reader into a, a point of view, as you do here um, with this woman, that's when they first open the book, right? And they have the willing suspension of disbelief. What the willing suspension of disbelief means is this transition. I want to leave my world and go into yours. That's what it means from my point of view. So, um, and I'm willing to go wherever you take me but you better take me somewhere, right? That's, that's it. Um, we, when we accomplish that, and I basically get involved in the conflict that I'm being presented here at the beginning, and I become attached to my point of view character, who I now basically expect to be the vehicle for my experience, the vehicle for my emotional experience. So I've done that. I've gone with Mala, and I'm saying, I want you to be the vehicle for my experience. I want to have an experience of life through you as the avatar, basically, right? Once I've done that, to take me out of there and put me in another character makes me wonder what's going on. If we do it, we need to do the same thing that we did in the beginning. So we have to be able to, right? We had the reader's willing suspension of disbelief we begin in media race, we involve them with character, we have a setting, we have a point of view that's absolutely distinct, right? Because that's part of it. I want to be, I want to have a universal experience through a unique point of view, right? So I've done that. 
So now I've taken them out of that. I've already committed to this character. I'm, I'm in. I read four pages. I'm in until you kick me out. Does it kick me out when you pull me out of that point of view and put me in a new character where you have to do all the same things again? I am not, I'm not making a comment at all about the value of the work, the value of the characters, whether the husband has a story, whether the wife has the story, but we should, we should understand what we're doing. The, you know, it's easy. Of course, it's very hard to tell the experience of the, of the husband flying and saving this person from Mala's point of view. It's very hard. Yeah. So it's really easy <laughs> to switch points of view and drop it into the husband, right? We have to make our choices. So this is, this is what the writer's task is. Um, the other thing that happens is that we, I started with Mala's point of view and I started, and you know what, you, you hooked me with this first sentence. That's a contract. So it's this triangular relationship. It's a it's an intimate relationship. Ashvani, your work. Okay. I think you need to read uh, Chekhov, Anton Chekhov, collected short stories. I can give you a list. There are different uh, among you all. I can you know there are like people I want to say read these you know read these authors. But but your your style is so charming, um, and so um, there's a there's a lack of judgment that you bring to your perspective on characters that I just really appreciate. I just feel like you put them on the page without judging them at all. They just are there. I really, really like that. Um, and, uh, and it does remind me some of Chekhov and Ashvani. I'll just tell you, if anyone tells you that you, you know, you write like Chekhov, you just say, thank you very much. Anton Chekhov for the short, for the short story is the, He's, he's it. He's the one that every short story writer, you know, aspires to. I'm going to talk a little bit more about him. And he talks about regular people. And uh, read, of course, uh, Lady with a Pet Dog, um, and see what happens there in regard to intimacy. It's a, a tremendous story in terms of intimacy. It's a tremendous story in terms of showing arc of character um, for this cad that starts the story. Okay, so um, so what happens here is we're in one point of view, Mala's who I've committed to, we go into the husband's, you know, when he does his thing, but we never know him really as well. He just does his job in a sense. And then from there we come back and we really don't even get into one point of view or another. We're just really dealing with this further story about getting these postcards from the person that's been saved. I mean, it's really a tremendous story. I I think it's a, I mean, it's a beautiful story, but I don't know who I'm with anymore. And I don't know whose story I'm, I'm understanding. And I don't know. So I will, I've said this many times, but I think it's really useful for us. You know, we ask ourselves, whose story is it? Well, we don't know. We don't always know when we, when we do the first draft is really the first draft is an exploratory draft. We're exploring the story, but at a certain point, the person's story, who it is, is the person who changes at the end. Because they're the ones that engage, engage in an arc of character. They start out, I, we can just say A, they start out in state A, they're a certain way, 
and then they go through the story experience, which is what, what a story is. A story is a character in conflict with experience that's changed by the experience. So whose story is it? The person who's changed. So you have to, one, discover what the change is, right? Who here has changed? And in this story, we don't, we don't know. We learn things, but we don't, the character doesn't experience, we don't have a, an appreciable way to understand that the character has experienced something changing. And that's in fact what I want and what I bargain for, right? So, so I go back to my little, you know, my maxim is the reader does not read to read about experience. They read to have an experience. They have an experience through the experience of character that we show, right? We show their experience. The reader feels it. The reader thinks from it. The reader interprets. They do all sorts of things. They're engaged in actions and they finally are taken through an, an emotional roller coaster as I liken it to the Aikido master that takes you this way and that way and then puts you on your back um, to the end. So, so that, that hasn't quite all gelled here yet. I mean, I, I think you haven't made the decision about a character changing. It could be possible, not to fill you with too much information, but if you really must have two characters, then it has to be a story about those two characters. That's, that's the thing that, so if you're starting off, if really you're talking about their relationship, right, then that's, that we can have a, let's say a, a compound protagonist. It, we can. We can even have a group as a protagonistic force, like, like uh, Krakauer's Into Thin Air, in fact. That's kind of a group. The protagonistic force are all these people who are trying to climb Everest. So we can do that, but then the change has to come for the group. The change has to come for the compound protagonist. Does that make sense? That's, yeah. I mean, that's just my logic applied. You know, I'm just applying my logic to it, you know? So if you're gonna get us involved in both of them, then we're really talking about their relationship. And then we really have to see that change and morph. That's, that, their relationship is our protagonistic force. Um, the one of one of the books that actually um, influenced my entire writing career I read when I was young, and it was called Chicken Hawk, and it was about a helicopter pilot in Vietnam. There was a period in my life when I read every book about Vietnam I could. Right before that, I read every book about sharks every book about sharks I could find, and every book about Vietnam I could find. That was my order. This book changed my life and it influenced me in a really big way. Not a great book, probably. I don't know. I read it when I was 13. Um, I read it all the way through. And in the book, throughout the course of the book, when I was done, I'm just going to say this because you're a helicopter pilot. I felt like I could fly a helicopter. Okay, that is not true. I could not fly a helicopter, okay? But I felt like I could fly a helicopter. I knew so much about helicopter. I knew about the pedals and the, the rotating and the this and I don't know what I knew. You know, I was 13, but I was so in it that I felt like I was the pilot. That 
thing that I learned from Chicken Hawk to make the reader feel as if they could do it is absolutely 100% responsible for getting me into Stanford and everything else that's come after my life. Because I wanted to do that. And so I did, right? So what I'm saying is when you get involved in these, don't forget, you want to put the universal person into this unique experience because I really want to have it. When, when your helicopter pilot is flying, it isn't as if he's actually flying in action. It's as if I'm getting summary of his flying. That's another little thing. And then basically, the big picture in this piece is that it's all written in summary. <clears throat> so this is a big, broad thing to say for everybody. We really, I think, I'm, I'm a very reductive person because I want to write the best things possible and I don't want to waste my time not doing it. So. I, I have reduced the things that we write into three types. The things we write in scenes, that means we slow time and we give more attention to time than we do in summary, which is the second thing we write. And then the third thing we write are those things that we don't write at all. We've left them out. So we're only dealing with scenes and summaries. Basically, what we're doing is we're selecting as seen, we're giving our attention to a specific thing, and our attention to it tells the reader that it's more important. Then we compress time in summary, basically as a transition to guess what? The next scene. The scenes are those things of dramatic importance. Every scene is like a story itself. The character comes in feeling one way, A, they are confronted by an event of some kind, and they leave feeling B. They come in feeling positive, they leave feeling negative. They come in feeling negative, they leave positive. So that every scene is actually a mini story. It's not an accumulative story, but the larger story is an, is an accumulation of those changes that take the, the emotional experience up and down. So finally, we flip them on their back, the reader. Um, so in this, because you've written it all in summary, it's basically, from my, from my, in my reading, it's all the same. Sometimes those, it, you write good summary. If anyone wants to learn how to write summary, please look to the Nobel Prize winning um, Alice Munro, her short stories. Beautiful summary, exquisite summary from her. And you write great summary, but we want to create this emotional modulation by focusing us on scenes, releasing it. Basically, you create tension in scene because it's a way to say something's going to happen. Then you ease the tension with summary, so we, we have tension, basically tension and release. And we repeat that, tension and release, tension and release, tension and release. And we can see that that's, that's modulating the reader's emotional experience just with those basic ideas. It doesn't matter what the scene is, what the summary is, but because we focus, we're tense, because we pull away, we're at ease. So 
you have to make some decisions about modulating the emotional experience through this also. Even, even you know, it might be easy to say that, you know, flying to save the, the guy needs to be all written and seen. Not so. No, because even though, so the, obviously the tension level on that whole scene is high. He's in a helicopter, you know, which is already makes it tough. He's flying into the Himalayas, that makes it tough. But there are certain points that are more important. And you know, like in your story, um, when the pilot reads his name and sees him, or maybe sees him passed out and doesn't know whether he's alive or dead, those are gonna be scenes that you want to slow down and we slow down by having them be in scene. Basically writing blow, a kind of blow-by-blow blow action. We make choices about that. There's no, we, we never make something that's exactly like a movie, but we basically slow down to handle blow-by-blow blow actions with it. It's, it's almost too complicated to talk about because we have so many we have to give attention to things with words, so it's it's just a little bit complicated. But um, that idea of the scene and the summary going back and forth—that's a big idea to apply to this piece, and it's a really big idea for all of us as writers to be applying to our work. Um, probably the biggest the biggest takeaway from this work that would immediately. Um, if you, if you were to start saying, ah, I mean, even if you went through this and you just yellow highlighted certain places, ah, this is a moment. You know, like, how about when the wife first goes into, when, when, she, when she's asked um, to say the names of all the people in the squadron, right? And she suffers through, she's like, she suffers through that. But then they're all laughing and, you know, guffawing and being like, that's okay, you'll never, none of us remember his name or whatever they do, right? You know, to be immersed in that world, that might be a scene to write. Um, the, obviously the scene of flying into the clouds to escape this, you know, this area, I don't perceive it well enough right now, but they have to fly through the past. And basically it means he's flying into nothing. You want, to, you want to write that so that I experience that blow by blow. You need to figure out how to describe, and I know a little bit what it's like. I mean, we all probably do to drive into a fog in which you can't see anything. Now, and you're talking, and, and when I do it, I get to at least see the road three or four feet in front of me. That's, I, that's what I see, but you don't see that. Blows my mind. Um, uh, Ashwani, do you have any questions about this piece? I, I, really amazing work. Great material. Incredible I wanted to world. say uh, two things. Uh, one is that I think even with the benefit of your uh, debrief now, uh, I, I don't think the story can be written with only Mala's point of view because of the simple reason that many things are happening away from her. So that's one point. But I have taken your uh, point about in case we are doing a changeover to another uh, character, then it needs to be a more uh, comprehensive way of doing it and putting the reader into the new character's mind. I've understood that point. Mm -hmm. The other... Well, 
Yeah, go ahead. The other point I was uh, going to say was that uh, I thought I had met your, uh, you know, Maxim about Mala, the protagonist starting with a particular, you know, frame of mind about being petulant that her husband can't be with her on her first anniversary. But by the end, realizing that her petulance was so petty as compared to the lofty gratitude of the guy whom her husband had saved. So I thought I had, uh, you know, brought about that transformation in her, but obviously I didn't uh, meet your requirement I, I somehow. Well, well, you're never going to, Ashvani. So, <laughs> you know, just forget about it. No, um, no, I, I got, I got that, but this is, this is where your piece didn't, I, for me, didn't go quite far enough. Um, you know, the, so we, the Mala is sort of petulant about the husband not staying, you know, he has to run this mission, right? And then, then, then the husband is hugely successful. It becomes too easy in this, right? This is really, so let's go back to the beginning. It's about a relationship and it's about the intimacy of relationship. And we expect that to go pretty deep. You know, those of us literary writers, we write, we read very deeply into literary relationships in which we know a lot. It's a nuanced relationship. The way it runs right now is we have a wife. Uh, she's a little bit stereotypical, maybe a little bit superficial in her depiction, right? That's not fair for one, for her. She's a character, you know, it, it, let's say I'm the wife, you know, remember the reader is, they are imagining that they're that person. They're filling that person with life. So if someone came to me and said, I'm sorry, you know, it's your one year anniversary and all, and but I got to go fly this mission to save someone's life. And I was going to go, why can't you ask someone else to do it? Now, I don't think I do that. Remember, it's you're putting a human being into the character and we're all human beings. So I don't think that that's a, I don't think that that's 100%. It's going to have to be more nuanced. And she's probably even going to have to feel guilty about it. I would imagine I would feel tremendously guilty if I said, I mean, it's as if I'm a sociopath. I have no concern with someone's life. I don't think so. So, so right now, the way it plays is, you know, she has, she does something and she basically does something that's wrong. And then the outcome corrects her. No, 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 no. Well, that's too easy. Uh, we don't, we don't have characters who are wrong. And we don't have characters who are corrected. Read Lady with a Pet Dog. Then, then, then we talk about going into really the really you're talking about pa passion. I mean, in some way, you're talking about trust and passion between two people, and that's really what this story is about. It's not about the person who's saved, right? So we go back to the idea that. If you have both points of view, you're going to write about their relationship. Um, there are a couple other little things. We, we might be able to talk about it uh, some more. Maybe we'll have a conversation about it. But I would. Thank you. Thank you. Otis. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the groundwork for something that's really extraordinary. But this is another thing for all of us, too. When we do that sort of uh, exploratory graph like this, it then should release us. We want it to release us from just these concerns. We've written, we've written 2,000 words on this. It's, it feels like a good length. 
So now let's try and keep it that way. And now let's really try and make the emotional experience happen. We can deal with other things besides getting from the beginning to the end. Now we can deal with what the nature of that experience is going to be and make sure that we're getting that, getting things on the page that are going to be moving the reader uh, in the ways that we want to come to something that's really revelatory. It can't be, it is not a revelation to say, you know what, your attitude before was wrong and now you've been corrected, right? Um, okay, I'm glad I asked that question. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's, uh, let's see. Uh, Ron, let's talk about your work. Um, yep. Let's uh, um, just read the, this opening, too, up to here. You speak too much, the woman said. Yeah, sure. From the beginning? Yeah, please. Okay. My earliest memories are of the orphanage and of mother visiting. All of five years old, I had peeked from behind the door at the lady sitting in the wire-back chair across from the orphanage superintendent. She did not match the mental image of a mother my five-year-old brain had conjured up. Wasn't the mother supposed to be pretty, dainty, whose smile would sprinkle tiny stars around and whose touch would be as soft as the baby kittens we played with? Wasn't the mother supposed to be like the fairies in the picture books? The woman in front of me was large, with thick hair cropped at the neck, framing her square face like a lion's mane. Her hands were as thick as the superintendent's, maybe thicker. Yes, yes, madam. Of course, madam. As you please, madam. Certainly not, madam. The superintendent was supplicating, hands clasped in front. You speak too much, the woman had said, chin tanda, bring the child. That's fabulous. That's, that's uh, really great. I, uh, I'm just looking to remind me. Um, Oh, right, 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 right. I remember now. So we sort of get an introduction to this mother, and this feels like in the end it becomes a setup to look back at the mother's life. Yep, that's right. Um, the child, you know, the, the, I think that, you, you correct me if I'm wrong, the mother's uh, passed, and now the, the, the child grown up has found the papers and it's going to go back to look at her life. Um, I, so this becomes, so there's, um, there's an envelope uh, structure that we talk about in stories, and this would mm -hmm. reflect that. Now, a, a lot of you actually end up using envelopes, but, and we'll, we'll look at one a little bit later that's maybe not, not so well done. Um, an envelope is something like, you want to have, you want to set up a clear expectation of what's coming next. So it basically, we call it an envelope because it's something you put the story inside of. So it's like, um, so-and-so uh, was in the jail and the jailer came and said, well, that's it. It's time to go. 
He got up, put the dishes from uh, his last meal to the side, stood, brushed himself off, and said, I'm ready. Forty years earlier, dot, 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 you know, right? So we have he's going to the gallows, right? So that becomes the beginning. And now we're going to tell the story that's going to go in the middle that basically tells us how we arrived there, right? And it works exactly the same as all of our backstory. Basically, is like a backstory and works, as I've already suggested and was saying even to Ashvani. We can do it. It's a cost-to-benefit ratio, okay? So if you get me committed to one time, one character involved in this uh, conflict right here, no matter how short it is, right? But, oh, sorry, I'm going to have something else to say about this in a second. Then we take that, we take the reader out of there, their point, they, they, out of that consciousness, and put them in a new time. We have the same responsibilities as the first one. I'm just sort of saying, Ram, you don't have that on this page, but I'm just, maybe I'm, I'm forewarning you. Okay. No, it comes in the subsequent chapter. It, what you're saying happens in the subsequent chapters. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just saying, right, I, I'm, I'm sure that you, I'm hoping that you anticipate that. And I'm just saying it to you for just all of us to see how some of these rules or, you know, my perceptions about the reader's mind, basically, apply to a lot of different places. We're really trying to take care of the consciousness of the reader. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to put them in a very comfortable and understandable place, but a place that also is exciting and has peril so that the reader's experience is this. They get to experience this world uh, through this kind of avatar, this character. Um, it can be tense, but it can't just be tense because if it's tense the whole time, that's also a flat line, just as if it were just relaxed the whole time it's a flat line. We want to move between. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, <clears throat> we basically, if we start thinking like that, then we also start to see our responsibilities as we write. You know, our responsibility is we put that character into a consciousness. We have it be really secure. And then if we make the choice to take them out of that consciousness, we basically have to do that again. We don't get to do it here and then not do it here. Mm. We have to do it again. We have to take care of that reader. Right. Um, so anyway, I, I think it can easily work. I think you, you understand that. So yeah. you want to start, you know, so let's, let's look at, let's look at the beginning here. So we can make these our standards. Writers, we're not, honestly, we're not that bright. We just do the same thing over and over again. We do what works. We do right. what works. We got to we got to get away from the idea that writers and they definitely are smart. Forget it. We're not smart. We we figure out what works and we go to it again and again and again. Look at right. this. Uh, so you you have definitely introduced the older uh, narrator. So that's okay because you're going to use that older narrator. We're going to get to that person. But then you basically get us involved in the in the life of this character. So. So we do have, the, the reader is capable of understanding that we have these two levels, a narrative level, and in fact, we always have it two degrees, a narrator's level and a character level. And so in the beginning okay. here, you have it. You have a narrator who speaks, who says, my earliest memories. This is a great thing to understand. We have a narrator. The narrator also says things like, he said, 
she said. Um, the narrator does all sorts of things in our work. And then we also have an I who is a character in the work who's like five years old, right? Understanding that these two are distinct mm -hmm. is very good for us as writers. Okay. Because they should have, they have distinct points of view and it's better to have distinct points of view than just a mishmash. Mm. And what we basically do in our writing, though we have both working all the time, all the time, like our scenes or like anything we do in writing, we give attention or we give a sense of dominance maybe to one or the other. So okay. once we're, once we're, when we're with this kid in the orphanage, you definitely put us in his point of view pretty much. I mean, you could maybe tighten it up a little bit, okay. but you, you, you put us in his point of view. And so we see from his point of view, and that's really great for the reader. We, we, we really identify with that. The, the metaphysical narrator who starts this piece, who could be anywhere, who's basically a non-physical presence, we don't identify with non-physical so much. And the reason for that is we read to have an experience of a character in peril, right? We get to read in the safety of our chair about perilous experiences. I get to sit in my chair and read uh, Chicken Hawk about uh, a helicopter pilot in Vietnam in safety. I love that. I don't love being in peril, in fact. I mean, I like it a little bit, right? You know, but I, I, I don't really like it. And if I like it at all, I like it within my control. But our characters experience peril a little bit out of con their control. And that is actually a scary experience. But I get to read about it. I love it. Mm. But it means that we have, we say in writing, skin in the game, right? There's actually a physical person there. And the, and the, and the stake is their very life. So I get to, you know, like this child's life. He might be emotionally scarred. He might get beaten at the orphanage. I don't know, but he's a human being. Metaphysical narrators, they don't experience uh, peril. And I understand that all of us as writers want to rise to the level of this metaphysical narrator and escape the, the perils of our own body and experience. Totally natural, but it's not what we write. For the mm -hmm. most part, if we're writing narratives, mm -hmm. we want we want physical people in peril. There's an application and thesis statement stuff that I'll deal with if we ever have to talk about it. Um, so anyway, the beginning here is great. So my earliest memories are of the orphanage and of mother visiting. Um, I, I'm unclear early on what that means. So like I'm so that's someone. It's just a little confusing to relation. To I, I need to clear it up a little bit. Yeah, I need to maybe add yeah. a sentence. Yeah, but, but um, all of five years old. So this is still the narrator. All of five years old. I had peeked from behind. So we have this had, right? But now we should get into it. So, okay. so I had peeked. So this is, this is taking us from the narrator back to five years old. Peek mm -hmm. behind the door at the lady sitting in the wire back chair across from the uh, orphanage superintendent. Um, I, you know, I sat and thought. She did not match my image of a five, right? So now I want to go into the character for a greater effect. So mm. she didn't match. She did not match the mental image of a mother. My five-year-old brain had conjured up is still kind of the narrator, but I'd rather okay. go into the character, right? And be like, um, I, uh, 
Peeking from behind the door, I snuck forward. She did not match my mental image of a mother. Mm. Then, um, you know, when I imagined a mother finally coming and taking me, I imagined stars and kittens and things I couldn't even organize or whatever, mm. however you want to play, you know, talk. And I think you do a great job of getting into this child's point of view, but you're, this is for all of us. So I'm talking about distance. Mm. I am talking about distance. This is one of the big things that we work with and distance. So when we're the narrator, so if the story is taking place down here, characters in peril, ah, killing, ah, doo -doo, you know, different dangerous mm. things happening down here. The narrator's up here. They're like the, the lofty, they're the lofty gods that don't have a physical presence. When we write from the narrator's point of view, there's a great distance between the reader because the reader reads through the words. So I use the narrator's words. I go through the narrator and then see down to the little people down here. I have a lot of distance. When I have distance, I'm safe, right? Just like in real life, just with human beings, the human animal. I am safe from other human animals if I keep my distance from them. But when I'm close to them, they're much more dangerous. Same thing in our writing. So we take that, we take those words and we now put them into the character's head, right? See from their point of view, now we're close. So we're distant as narrator, close as POV character. Narrator and character. Um, it makes the reader feel more to be close. But, you know, so I'm going to go back to that little comment about scene and summary. So in scene, we can go into the into the character's point of view. We're close. But summary, right? So summary is the compression of time. Right. Can the character compress time? No, the narrator has, has that power. The narrator has the power to compress time. So as soon as we compress time, we go away. So now we see what we're doing. Right. We're getting close in scene, and we're going away with summary. Close with scene, away with summary. We're at the right. price of admission right there. And then, and what does that mean? Close, tense. Far away, at ease. Close, tense, far away at ease. These are the emotional modulations that we take the reader through. Tension and release of tension. Right. That's it. When, I'm, I'm telling you, we are not geniuses, okay? So, you know, we get so involved in writing our genius ideas, if they don't make the reader <laughs> feel anything, they don't matter. Right. Our genius, if we have any, is being able to see life and witness life accurately as well as we can. To remove yeah. our biases and see accurately, put that on the page because we want to put the real world on the page, even if it's fantasy. Right. Because the real world is something that I can identify with. The real world is something that we share, all of us. So that becomes a universal experience, right? right. And then we have the unique manifestations of it. Okay. So back to this so she wasn't pretty so so we basically if we're in the character we see we can have his experience of like, right you know basically a conflict between what he imagined was going to take place and what did take place right. and that is 
That is a beautiful and true thing that happens to human beings all the time. I can totally right. identify with that. He has mm. a fantasy of what the mother should be, and then he has the reality of the mother that I love. I can't believe how much I love this woman. So, so the fairy, and I feel it because you give me both, right? Does everyone understand that? Because you give me the contrast between what he thought okay. he would find and what he did find, that is, that contrast, contrast is what allows human beings to see and perceive things. Contrast. If there's no okay. contrast, we do not see and perceive. This, is, this goes along with the other idea of we, we, we paint with thick lines. This one, our, our protagonists and antagonists are diametrically opposed. Mm. Um, and this also works so brilliantly too, Ram, I think, because what you're finally going to get to is this woman's incredible life. And yep. so I'm really looking forward to that. After okay. you've given me this sort of iconoclastic, well, not iconoclastic, but like this woman who's defeating the stereotype. That's what mm. we're being told. She defeats the stereotype. Yep. Um, and then I, the woman in front of me was large, with thick crop, with hair, with thick hair cropped at the neck, framing her square face like a lion's mane. Please, so this, I want to have written that sentence, but I want to write this sentence even more. Her hands were as thick as the superintendent's, and then I want to write this sentence even more, maybe thicker. Thank you. It and means then, a lot. Yeah, I come on. That's so good. I'm totally there. And then, then look at this. Everyone, take this away. Um, so, the character Henry James said something more complicated, but basically, character and action are the same. We don't have to give the backstory about the character, right? We don't. We need to make the reader be able to see her. She could be tiny, but but her actions reveal her. And this is her action. She says, and, and, and we have a minor character here, the superintendent. So the, the superintendent is revealing her or himself also. Uh, yes, yes, ma'am. Of course, ma'am. Him, I think, because of the thickness. That was kind of a relationship there. Yes, yes, ma'am. Of course, ma'am. Madam, as you please, madam. Certainly not, madam. The superintendent was supplicating, hand clasped in front. Right? So that character reveals themselves by their actions. What they say and holding their hands together reveals their character. We don't have to say what their character is. They reveal it themselves through their actions. If the character does not reveal themselves through their actions, we are probably not writing action that we need to be writing. And now the mother says, you speak too much, the woman had said. No, okay, so we're not going to, we're in point of view, we're not going to write had said. Right, Once you okay. drop into point of view, you yeah. speak too much, the woman said, chin turned up, bring the child. Wonderful. Thank you. That's my comment. Now, oh, but my further comment is, as good as that was, it's got to be just as good when you go into this backstory. And you, you do the same. You, basically, when, when we do backstory like this with an envelope, you're really talking about a flashback. It's a story within a story. It's not We're not writing backstory. We're not explaining stuff. We're not explaining how we got from A to B. We're not doing that. 
we're basically writing a story within a story a story within the envelope and it has to compel just as much as the beginning did just as much as any story does it has the same same standard that we apply everywhere um we don't get anything because we think we're writing a great idea about an interesting woman um someone actually said to me i was shopping around a a non-fiction book and uh, a writer who was a friend of mine said um if you think it's interesting if, if you think it's interesting that's probably it's death <laughs> you know because we think so much like i think it's interesting i think people are going to want to know about it it's like uh that's not the attitude to bring into yeah. effective writing yeah. so, but i'm i'm, I'm going to write that down i'm going to write that down yeah yeah um so you you we just always have the same standard draw us in and right. you do it in this beginning so just keep doing that okay and then do just what i was saying again not not smart at all get us involved in scenes so this is a scene that yeah. beginning the woman's there she's talking to the superintendent the superintendent says this we're following the actions the woman says this beautiful cut to the next scene or write a little summary you know you can say you know mm -hmm. uh four years later blah 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 I, who knows what you do but we have the transitional summary and then the next thing that you're going to concentrate on and right. through that you take us through this modulated emotional experience that kicks us out the other side. Okay. Um, any questions, Ram? Uh, no, I think I'll probably have to watch the recording again because there is so much that you have given. Uh, this is very useful. But one very big thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to write in bold uh, bold letters. Don't try to be clever in your writing and put it up on the like you know top of my laptop. <laughs> no. <laughs> Let. You know, we can have characters who try to be clever. Yeah, but not the writer. Not the writer. But we want to be great. What we want to do is we want to be able to see people. Yeah. We want to see how people are. We want right. to witness them and put them on the page. I mean, say I say this many times, but you know, people are miracles. That does not mean that they're good. <laughs> that does not mean that they're bad. <laughs> they are miracles. And right. so if we can get if we can get real characters on the page, we're we're doing great. Right. That is, and 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 that is, and, and because if we get a real character on the page, particularly in, in the protagonist, mm -hmm. that reader becomes them, mm -hmm. and right. they have the experiences of the work, and that is it. That's the big, the big, uh, the big Kahuna. Right. Well, yeah. Well, thanks, Ram. I, thanks. I thanks a lot for this feedback. I appreciate this work, and I also see. I, I, I'm going to, I'll pat myself on the back and feel like maybe you're, you're really taking on at least this idea of like showing some protagonism and antagonism and letting that, letting those contrasts lead you a little bit in this opening. And I would right. say if, if I, if I can take credit, great. I think you're enjoying a good <laughs> Thank record. you very much. This was very me, useful. Thanks up. a lot. Yeah. Thanks it might a lot. be self-fulfilling. You know, I might be, it might be self-fulfilling, but. Hello. Yeah. Thanks a lot. This was very, very useful. Okay, great. Um, let's, um, let's see. We put which one? Sorry, I'm trying to switch my.
Is Jay here? Um, yeah, I, Jay was here last. Yeah, week. I think Jay is there. Okay. Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm hey, here. How are you? Wait, can you? Um, how are you? I, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, can you read this? We're just gonna read this first little short paragraph, and then maybe we'll and be good on our time. Okay. So just to open it. Uh, the young man stood on the pier, taking in the best of the morning wind. He, he faced west with his back illuminated by the rise of, rays of the rising sun. He visualized himself appearing as a fearsome silhouette to distant enemies from the east who dared look upon his land with desire and greed. Okay. Should I continue? Uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, maybe, can you just read the next paragraph, too? That was, that was a little bit brief. Go, just one more paragraph, Jay, if you could. Okay. Uh, the base of the crown he wore was ringed. The base of the crown he wore was ringed by sharp points pointed flames, 12 in all, each representing one of the Katatuans, which are empire. The gold in the crown had withdrawn itself in a place. The rest of the crown was studded with rupees. The crown was new, as was his coronation. He had discarded the traditional and more humble crown of his forefathers and had this new one fashioned rise in power and prestige. Okay, thank you. Okay, um, so uh, in starting this, I had I have probably two main comments about this. I like this very I like this opening very much um, because it gave me some sense of promise about what might come. I like this. He visualized himself appearing as a fearsome silhouette to distant enemies from the east. So for me, I like the idea of it seems to me a sort of psychological truism that he's engaged in sort of visualizing how he will appear to others, which seems, you know, it's like, that sounds like the story of my life, you know, basically, particularly during a certain period. It's like, how are other people going to see me? Are they going to be frightened enough from me because I need them to be very frightened of me so that they stay away? Um, I, I like that sense of insight into this character. Um, it it doesn't though we, i think that characterizes him in the beginning i'm not sure that you intended it that way um we don't really see that sense of characterization play out and i don't um i'm gonna go here it's much later that we have this person then I, I find out that they have a crown and things like that and i realize i'm dealing with someone who's who's pretty lofty um and it's uh, Sangrama, who I think might be a, a historical figure. Or, or is that a historical figure? Jay? Hello? Yeah, Jay. Is that, yeah. Is that, a, is that a historical figure? 
Yeah, he is. He is. Okay. Um, so I would. So for me, I don't think there's any benefit in. So I don't believe in withholding information from the reader. So oh, and, and actually, Jay, you wrote me an email and you said um, I made the comment. The reader does not read to find out what okay. is happening. They they read to find out what is going to happen next. So in a sense, yeah, I don't. Yeah. If, I don't if if this is the character in the beginning and it's a historical character, I don't think you have a benefit in keeping it from us. We just have to jump in with both feet. I'm writing about a historical figure that people recognize, okay. will recognize, and now this is going to be a sort of take on a story that maybe you're already okay. or maybe okay. you aren't. Um, so, so I think it's a good idea just to jump in with that okay. because, so, because what happens here is when I read, you know, I, I even marked this, I said, so, um, well, I have a couple things early on. I'm always applying sort of the same idiotic rules that in media race. all the time. And I do that. Uh, yeah, in uh -huh. media race, uh, who, who's the protagonist? I assume he's the protagonist, but I don't know really who he is. And then, and then we, we want to get the, um, the conflict on the page right away. The conflict is a result of two forces that's what we. That's what a media race would okay. be. Two forces already in conflict. Um, that creates the tension, right? That we okay. wonder what's going to happen next out of this. Basically, we wonder who's going to win. Okay. This has a this has a subtle implication for Ashvani's work too. The answer isn't one or the other. That's not the answer. So the the secret the the, the thing with literary. Uh, works and literary okay. is that we we basically get the reader involved in a conflict in which we get them rooting for one side to win over the other. What happens throughout the story is that doesn't happen. The protagonist loses again and again and again and again until they're basically transformed in a different way. So this is writers writers are basically engaged in bait and switch. Uh -huh. So, so in a subtle way, like Ashvani's work was about a woman who basically okay. was wrong, and then she, and then the husband is right. And, you know, like that's not how our stories work. We take these two forces, and from them we catalyze a new experience yeah. out of which something arises. But anyway, to do that, we yeah. need to, we need the antagonist on the page, um, and. Oh, hmm. this is a little. This is a little point. If I read this beginning, so a young man I don't know is on the pier taking, uh, stood on the pier taking in the best of the morning wind. So little things like, who thinks it's the best? Yeah. Who is that? And and this goes into kind of a, a big issue I think that we want to deal with is that. Remember, if I'm talking about the narrator being up here, and then we have a character. So the narrator does a lot of things. In fact, in there, through the narrator, everything arrives. But we can move that point of view into the character, right? And mm -hmm. that's going to be more immediate and more um, tense for us as readers, right? But when we, have, when we have not established the point of view, and we write the young man stood on the pier taking in the best of the morning wind. Who thinks it's okay. the best? 
So what we usually do is we have this narrator be objective. They display no bias whatsoever. Because if they display a bias, bias is also personality. Right? Mm -hmm. So like Rom, Rom's narrator comes in okay. and says, I remember when. So now that's that narrator has a personality. Mm -hmm. They're a human being, and they're a human being called I in that case, even though they're metaphysical. Here, we don't have an I narrating, but we do mm -hmm. have a narrator saying it was the best of the morning wind. Yeah. That bias tells us that we are dealing with a human being. We're not dealing with objective reality. Right? So we want to we be aware of that because if we have a narrator who's biased, the reader has more trouble mm -hmm. connect, connecting with the work because... Okay. We want to, we want to, we, we, we do this business here. We read about the unique life, right, within an objective, okay. an objective universe. Okay, so that's a little thing. And then uh, he faced west with his back illuminated by the rays of the rising sun. So I am such, I'm, I'm basically, writers are basically strategists and tacticians. That's what we do. If his back is illuminated by the rising sun, where's the point of view? I'm kind of asking, but it's like the point Looking of view is east. behind him. Well, the, the, the point of view is back here because it's telling me about his back. So I know it's not his point of view because he can't see his own back. This is getting to like a... So point of view, when we go to the character's point of view, we want it to be basically like a human being's point of view. He doesn't know that his back is being illuminated. I'm just, I'm bringing it up because again, we have, we have a narrator who's seeing him. We're not taking the reader's point of view into, into his, um, his physical being. Um, but then we do, when we go to, he visualized himself, because when he visualizes himself, now we're actually in his mind. So it's something that I would just say, you know, we, we want to have a little bit more control. We want to make some decisions about what we want to do in regard to the narration and in regard to the point of view. If this is the character whose story, he's the one that's going to change through these experiences, we probably want to use his point of view, and we probably don't want to use other people's points of view. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so that's, I think that that's the main thing in terms of controlling this. I do, I, I do want to bring up this other, this other issue, I think. So when we write about so I brought it with Ashvani, uh, Anton Chekhov. And Anton Chekhov changed literature mm -hmm. basically by writing short stories mm -hmm. about, regular, about regular people. He basically wrote about, you know, a person who, it's, he's, a he's a Russian, okay. so like a person who like, you know, changes the samovar water or something like that. He wrote about little people. And that, and that was like in the 18, uh -huh. uh -huh. 1880s. Okay. But it basically, it changed the idea of literature because suddenly people were writing stories in which small okay. people's stories mattered in the world. 
a writer gave attention to small people. I think mm-hmm. that the other thing that did was mm-hmm. it allowed mm-hmm. readers, remember that we want readers to be able to identify with our character and also be able to have a unique experience. So those two things have to take place. We, mm-hmm. we want to think about okay. how does the reader, mm-hmm. is it easy for the reader to identify with this um, sort of, you know, a king, you know, these are the figures that were written about all the time. We only wrote about kings. We only wrote about presidents. We only wrote about, you know, uh, you know, heroes. We only wrote about these people way up here. Okay. We heard those stories, but like, how about the, how about little little old me? Can I really identify with this king? Mm-hmm. The answer is yes, but you have to make them not a king. They can be a king, but they have to be a human being first. Hmm. Right. So, so these are again. Okay. Going, Mm-hmm. What we're doing when we write is we're developing this relationship with the reader through the language that we put on the page. And so we want to think about that relationship. I mean, it's a, I, I sometimes say this, it's like, I, you know, and I tell, I tell Zandi this from time to time. It's like, mm-hmm. we do not, Zandi and I do not have a relationship like I might have a relationship with the reader. It is completely mutual. It is completely mutual. We can do what we want to do if we completely absorb that we have to do what our reader wants us to do. We have to really merge with our reader. Okay. It's what we want, which is also what they want. It's total equality. We write the words, right? But we can't make them read them. We can't do it. They have to mm. join us in this, right? So. So because of that beautiful relationship that we have in writing, which we honestly, I think we have nowhere else. I can go <laughs> and I can, I can say, Zombie, okay. blah, 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 blah. Like she can't even run hmm. away. You know, I'm yelling and, or she yells at me and I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Leave the house? But with books, not so. We can leave the house anytime. So we really want to think a lot about how we create this relationship. It's not what comes from us. We don't get to be like, hey, this is my say. Look, I wrote my book and you're going to read it. No. Hmm. Um, not unless we get some professor to assign it. And then even the, the, the kids don't even want to read it. So we've lost, we've lost already. Anyway, so, so think about some of these things. But, but uh, when, if, you, okay. if you feel compelled to write these historical characters who are kind of lofty, do think about humanizing uh-huh. them and understand that you're going to have to go okay. imagine them, imagine their point of view okay. in a very human way. Hmm. Because the one thing we know about everybody, this is what I think. Mm-hmm. What we know about everyone is that we're all human beings. And so we know a lot about everybody else in the world. So then we apply that knowledge when we write those characters, that deep understanding of human beings, it does require right. also developing that deep understanding of mm-hmm. human beings in ourselves. So we can only know them as well as we know ourselves, but we, but this is the work we need to do, you know, um, because we want to, in the end, put characters on the page because of my, my, my maxim. I don't think I'm making it up 
people are miracles. They're amazing. They're envious. They're proud. They're spiteful. They're vindictive. Wait, I got to have some more good ones. They're generous. Uh, they're, you know, right? They're all these amazing things. And yeah. I, I just just love them, kind of. <laughs> um, Jay, do you have any questions? So this is a, just another little instance you see this in front of me. So like, I, I like this idea that Taylor brought it all together into a sarong that was mocking the morning sun with a bright reflection. Like, I kind of like it. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's outrageous and it's inventive. Yeah. Uh, but it's like this narrator. Who is this narrator? You know, who's who's writing this very biased, uh, okay. inventive description of um, of basically the color of this wrong. Um, it's it's cool, but we but whatever mm -hmm. we do, we want to be consistent and we make everything work for us. We do not make decisions that don't okay. work. Um, so. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, Otis, uh, yeah. we may have time for one more. Do you want to take up, after you're finished with the Jay, do you want to take up uh, Aditi's piece? Yeah, I'm I not do. sure what it is I titled. Do. Yeah, I do. Okay, Aditi, um, did, uh, maybe you could just read, if you can see the yellow mark there, just down to, they, um, uh, they have to be the first to smell and taste it. Uh, sure. Uddhav stared at his mother in confusion as she handed him a wooden clothespin for his first day at work. Dawn was hours away and he was still bleary-eyed, so he looked at it again to make sure he was seeing properly. And what am I supposed to do with this? I'm not a dhobi, you know. My job is not to wash clothes. Sarla placed the pin in his palm, closing his hand around it. Put it on your nose when you cook for the deities. You cannot smell the food you are cooking before you offer it to them. They have to be the first to smell and taste it. Okay. Um, great. This is another piece that I'm going to go ahead and take a lot of credit for because um, <laughs> who else is going to do it, right? Um, I feel like you start with this sense of, you know, there's a sense of antagonism between these two characters, the mother and the son. The son who has a certain responsibility and the mother who's making certain demands on him. And that sets up everything from my from from my point of view. I mean, I'm I'm involved. I can see the whole story unfolding in a way. So this is so going back to the very simplest things, right? We put the two conflicting points of view onto the page somehow. The protagonist point of view, the one that we're identifying with, and you want to establish that because they're, they're the ones that we're traveling with, you know. They're also the ones that are going to be changed, et cetera, et cetera, and then the antagonist points of, the point of view. And it makes us wonder what's going to happen. So when we wonder what's going to happen, we're basically anticipating. We're anticipating something happening, right? This is gold for us. We will use this little uh, formula over and over again because we're writers and we go to what works. We want to make the reader anticipate and then we surprise them. Anticipation and surprise, okay? 
It is not. Anticipation and fulfilling the reader's <laughs> anticipated point of view. Um, Ashvani, not to pick on you too much, but I think I'm anticipating that the wife is wrong in this, and she is. That's not what we do. We don't do anticipate and then fulfill the reader's expectation. Anticipation and surprise. And if we do that again and again and again, we will be successful. We can do it in terms of the story as a whole, right? So I have, I have the son who's going to cook. And right now I'm feeling like he doesn't think that it's going to be, uh, he doesn't think it's really important that he follows all the rituals and stuff. So Aditi, I don't know what you have planned for this story, but the answer cannot be, it is important. Okay. You have to surprise us. So if we do that sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, story by story, we will just be, we will just be loved and lauded everywhere on earth. So it's a hard task to do, but this is exactly what we have to do. That this, this extra effort, you can, we can all create the anticipation. We can do it if we apply our protagonist and antagonistic forces. But where we have to dig deep, where we have to reach into ourselves and do something that we don't expect, we have to drive towards surprise. This is actually how we end up growing from doing our writing. Because we know that that's the obligation. The writing is a strict taskmaster. People do not read it if it's not good and it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. So it takes us, in, right? So if we anticipate and it's surprising, that basically means that it takes the reader into new territory. In order for us to do it, we have to go into new territory also. We make discoveries about the human spirit, about the human soul, about life, whatever it is. And this is the real big benefit of the story form. Um, but I, I love this. Okay, let me just take you, because this work is very high level already coming in. So um, these are some subtle nuances that I'm going to suggest really take them or leave them. Sometimes it's aesthetic, but like, so for me with language, I get away from what I want to do mainly is I want to deal with narrative. Narrative for me is a sequence of events. Sentences are a sequence of events. I do not try to show relationships because then it becomes about the relationship between those things rather than the things happening themselves. I want I want the reader basically to be, you know, like those flip comics that you go <laughs> and they change. I basically want to do that. I want to be writing these flip comics with my sentences. So where you have Udav stared at his mother in confusion as she handed him the spoon. So that's kind of complicated. He, he stared in confusion. And also my point of view is like he stared as she, I have a bit of complication. I like, I would go instead. Rudolph stared at his at his mother. Um, I would like to have a visual um, so that I can see the mother and understand her visually, because otherwise I don't have anything in front of me that's going to be ambulatory at all. But anyway, stared at his mother in confusion. She handed him a wooden clothespin. Look how punctilious, what a jerk I am. For his first day at work, for his first day at work, 
is not the present time. I'm like, that's for later. He's not mm -hmm. working now. It's a clothespin. Cut it. Right? Mm -hmm. She handed him a clothespin. Um, Jay, this is a little bit so. So this is where we don't keep things from the reader. We don't. Okay. Uh, we, we, we don't. We don't. We want them to know what's happening. What's happening is he's staring at her and she's handing him a clothespin. I know exactly what's happening. Okay. Right? So we're not we're not uh, um, not revealing what is happening. Okay. Uh, so that's kind of an example of it. And I have no yeah. problem. Yes, I don't know why she's handing him the clothespin. That's true. Mm -hmm. I need to because I'm so I know my grandfather used to say actually I, I say it but I tell my daughters that my grandfather said it so it has more gravitas he said there's always a reason to do what you want I, I say that to them all the time they hate it they hate it at this point believe me but anyway so I know there's a reason no character does anything without a reason we don't do anything on earth without a reason okay. so so she handed him the clothespin. Mm. So I'm like, what's the reason? I can't wait to find out. I'm anticipating. I know what's happening and I'm anticipating. Buddha okay. stared at his mother in confusion. She handed him a wooden mm. clothespin. Dawn was hours away and he was bleary eyed. He looked at the clothespin again to make sure he was seen properly. And what am I supposed to do with this? So you see how I'm doing that? It's just a, it's like a Gatling gun of short ideas, but basically because I'm doing it like that, I get, I feel, I get the reader, and at least I feel for myself too, I'm now fixating moment by moment on what's happening. I'm hurling along, I mean, it's, the DT, we might say it's a small moment. It was like Rom's, you know, uh, the woman coming. We might say it's a small moment, but this is, I live for this. That feeling of like, I want to read the next sentence. And then when I read the next sentence, I never anticipated reading that sentence. And now I'm like, what the hell is the next one going to be? And I'm going like this. And we don't turn that off. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, what am I supposed okay. to do with this? I'm not, I'm not, uh, mm -hmm. I don't know how to say it. Adobe, you know, my job is not to wash clothes. Um, so Sarala placed the pin in his palm closing his hand around it. I love it. Great sentence. Okay, so everyone. Visual, sensual action. This is intimate, intimate. Okay, again, going back to we're using words, but we want to write about concrete things and we want the reader to feel things. If my mother my mother was an exceptionally cold woman, right? If she touched me, it would be like, and put a clothespin in my hand, but I would know that she was making me do something anyway. Okay, but I love it. I understand the characters through what they do. Sarala placed the pin in his, placed the pin in his palm, closing his hand around it. Put it on your nose when you cook for the deities. You cannot smell the food you're cooking. We get a little bit explainy here. I would probably cut that down when you cook for the deities. You have to be the first, they have, I mean, you're, you're working a little exposition, Aditi, you must admit, into your dialogue. We have to be aware of that. It is done. Not everybody notices. 
I I tend to notice it. Um, and uh, and yeah, and I, I think you're you're on a great start here. I mean, really, really great. Um, I think that Udav, he he, I know I know how to control my breath, and I forget I've been doing. Um, Piranha, <laughs> sorry, forgive me. We, we we have short words, you know, and we. I, I, I'm a poor speller anyway with my dyslexia. So once you give me three or four letters, I've already. I'm I'm just I'm just hoping at that point when I read um, all these years. And I would hope that, um, and I would hope these so benevolent gods are not going to go on a hunger strike if by accident I I sniff the food right. So I think that he's really characterized by his point of view. I think they're absolutely diametrically opposed. And I think we'll see what happens. Um, this, um, this work um, that has a kind of, for me, it seems to have like this Hindu um, religious mythic uh, over, overlay on it. Uh, it does remind me of the work of Flannery O'Connor a little bit, who's a writer that I'm more experienced with. She was a very, um, I don't know, devout Catholic, but anyway, her Catholicism was really described the way that she saw the world. And sometimes when I read your work, I am reminded of Flannery O'Connor. Maybe we, I already said that to you. But there's a, there's a story um, like this, you know, a little bit, and she's an amazing writer. She wrote, you know, works that are taught all over, you know, um, it's not the misfit. What is that called? Anyway, I forget. But this but one story that I always remember is called Parker's Back. And it's a little, it's, a, it's about a character like uh, Udav a little bit, who is, he's not enlightened. And that's another thing that you're doing this very well. He clearly is a person that needs to go somewhere. But the question is, where does he need to go? Um, and we don't want to have an easy answer for that. That's where we have to dig for ourselves. Um, I, I sometimes say this, too, to, to my girls. Again, they're, they're young and they, they hate me for it and they'll have to go to therapy. But I'm like, you know, the first thing that you want to say is probably the easiest thing. Mm -hmm. It's fine to say it, you know. I'm like, so what do those clouds look like? Looks like cotton candy. I go, oh, you know, I just feel like I've been, you know, pissed, you know. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, well, that's uh, great. I mean, there's a lot of cultural stuff there, but what can we can we get to something a little fresher? So that's how we work with the material. That's how we work with the material. And and the same way, I I think it's really where. This is the thing that I really believe in with writing. I mean, yeah, sure, maybe we want to publish something for other people to read, and you know, maybe they do or not, you know. Um, but where it's really, really useful is for ourselves as we're working with these forms. We do with ourselves first what we do with the reader second. Mm -hmm. And and I do look at it this way, you know, the the well that story that Hemingway abandoned, it's really just the archive of this difficult discovery work that we do as artists. Mm. That's how I look at it. It's the archive of that, that they can then get something out of from reading it. They can excavate that emotional experience by reading the work. 
but we've really gone through it. Um, I look forward to where this is going. Do you have any questions, Ron? I, I just want to say you do deserve all the credit for it. So I, I tore up the, the first draft and, and restarted, but oh, what, what, what you told was, was very I, helpful. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, don't ever tear up anything. Just put it in the archive. Figured. <laughs> um, uh, I do. I want to say um, if I can just, uh, um, Smith, I don't know, HS uh, Smith, I'm not sure if uh, this writer has come, but I just, I, wanted, I do want to say for them that this, this work was really, I, I really enjoyed this work. It's definitely, it's you know, it's a excavation. Oh, hi, how are you? I just, I, I would just want to talk briefly. Able to turn on the video right now, but oh, I'm listening. Oh. Okay, well, thanks. Um, I, uh, I just wanted to make a few short comments because I'm going to have to stop, but um, this story it has a great location um this sort of work uh this work area around a construction site there's a temple across the highway um it's you know very hard scrabble uh living um there's a boy um there's a dog um covid hits they've come to the city to make good and then that then the family has to split up basically and take the train back to get away because covid is hit the environment in this story is fantastic. Um, we have some of the issues that we often have that we've seen before, where we have a kind of a great beginning, and then we go into a lot of backstory. If the backstory is the story, start with the backstory. Okay, so we there's no there's no obligation, you know, we can start wherever we want. Um, I think that this, I think it would make some sense actually in this story to start with you know, this family moving to the city and taking this job. Um, it's, it's a little bit, it, it's also totally makes sense. Writers are like this. It's sort of, you know, the, the writer, and you'll forgive me if I'm intruding upon the, you know, the creativity of the writer, but you know, we get an idea and then we start writing the idea. In the end, we don't want to be writing ideas. We want to be writing characters in action. That's what we end up doing. We write narratives, characters in action, characters confronting difficulty, and um, and then confronting it again, and confronting it again, and confronting it again until they finally make a choice. That's what we that's what we tend to do. Um, but anyway, I want to say I really enjoyed this. There are a couple little things that we can always take away because of this idea of the reader coming into the work. People argue about this kind of thing. I have my feelings. Starting with dialogue means we're starting with something that's basically intangible. So I can't see, there's no concrete stuff to see. So we might start with settings. Um, and, uh, and then I, I, I do really, I can't see these characters. So that's a problem, but I really like what they say and I feel the forces of protagonism and antagonism. And this was a wonderful first draft. Okay. Hey, thank you so much. Thank yeah. you, Otis, and thank you all for joining in. Uh, lots of thank useful you uh, you know, advice, suggestions, tips, uh, and we will see you in the new year, and all of you have a great, uh, you know, uh, happy holidays, great new year, and uh, uh, stay safe, and we'll meet in the new year. Thank you, Otis, and best wishes. Thank, thank you. Thank you so I, I, much, I, everyone. I want to say thank you to all of you, too. You have really as a 
as a group, you just, I was talking to Sandy and I was just like, you have such a great spirit and I really, I really appreciate the openness and, uh, and your passion for writing these stories. Uh, I, I really share it. And I, I'm, Honestly, I'm I, I'm I'm blown away again and again by the worlds that you offer me to go into, and I'm telling you, you know, I I'm I desire to go into these other worlds, and and this material is just fabulous, and I and and I really enjoy your work, and and I enjoy working with you. So, so thank you too. Thank you, thank, thank you, you everyone. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Yeah.